thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. For almost two years, we've been starved of moments like that, haven't we? We've not been together in that kind of a way. And I can't begin to explain to you how important those moments are for me. I've been walking with the Lord for so many years now. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And yet throughout that lockdown, the one thing that I missed more than anything was was this. It's been part of my journey. It's been part of my growth and development in God. It's been what's held me through so many times and so many seasons. And I sense so much and so very often that we, we lean into moments like that, but there's something that's even deeper that I think God wants us to lean into. Because some of you here this evening, you couldn't quite engage with the energy and the enthusiasm because of the stuff, the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the stuff of life. And I really want you to hear, not my voice this evening, but something that's so much greater, and that's the voice of God crying out to your heart today as he wants you to build him an altar of worship afresh. I was stirred a number of years ago when reading the life of Abraham just to see that God led Abraham on this pilgrimage, much as he does us. Abraham encountered God, who he didn't seem to know in in many ways, and God calls him to go on this journey that he he doesn't know where he's going. It's, It's uncertain. And yet in moments of Abraham's life, there's something significant that happens that becomes the priority that he focuses on. One priority of his life deeply impacted me. We read about it in Genesis chapter 12, where in verses 7 to 8, we read this. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. There are four occasions we read of in the journey of Abraham that he built an altar to the Lord where he ended, ended up on this nomadic journey that he was living, following wherever God told him to go, the uncertainty of the, the next place, the next moment, the next season of his life, he builds an altar to the Lord. And I suppose I want to say some things tonight about worship, to broaden the picture or maybe deepen the picture of worship, to take us beyond the euphoria and the excitement of being together and singing and there's few of you in the room would love to give all your energy to it more than me. I love it. I love what that does in our hearts and lives. But there is something deeper that God calls to in us. Because worship is more than something that we simply do. It's more than the songs that we sing. Worship is a so much a deeper and a broader expression of what we do with our lives. And I'm going to keep it simple, just three key things about the altars that Abraham and others in the Old Testament built that I hope will call to you to something deeper in your heart and life today. The first thing I want you to see is that altars are built by those who choose to be close to God. You know, long before 
temples and tabernacles of the Old Testament, those early constructions. Moses builds this portable tabernacle that travelled with the children of Israel around the wilderness. And Solomon is able to fulfil the desire of his father, David, and build the first temple. And then there was a, that was destroyed and there was another temple and another construction by the time of Jesus. But long before those places of worship, men and women met God on their own. And one of the dangers we find in our contemporary way of doing church is that we come to rely on our structures and we come to lean into those things. And I was doing that. And early in lockdown, when I was frustrated that I was missing these moments, I, I knew I had to do something more than just crave for those moments where I could be with you or others and worship and the, the energy and the enthusiasm of others would carry me on the days when I didn't have it. I went through a season when I would just go into my study and have a TV there and I could get YouTube on there and, and put some worship on. But there were times even that wasn't enough. And I had some real highs and some real lows over the last couple of years. Moments I really felt I met with God and other times I didn't feel I could reach him somehow. I know long before prophets and priests and pastors, men and women met with God alone. And Abraham, it says, Abraham, he built an altar to the Lord. I want to say this as sensitively as I can say it, but no one can choose to be near to God for you. And no one is to blame for me not being near to God. Because the opportunity for every single one of us to experience the presence of God is not as a result of what I as a pastor and leader do or the construction of what we have here. It was achieved for us when Christ himself went to the cross, carried my sin and my shame, took the wrath and the punishment of God upon himself and tore the curtain in the temple so that no human construct could get in the way of me meeting with him that that temple, which was a series of barriers for men and women, women could not go beyond the court of women and men could not go beyond the court of Israel and priests who weren't of the particular part of it couldn't go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year could the high priest go into the very holy place but Jesus at the cross said it's finished and the veil was torn and Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. And every single one of us here, however good or bad day you've had, God's presence is accessible to you and I. We can build an altar and meet him. And Abraham chose to do that. Of all the things I've learned in the years I've walked with God, I think I've learned that what I am when I'm alone with God is who I really am. And in those moments, and they're not as profound sometimes as I would love them to be, not as regular as I'd love them to be, I realised that my worship is not just about what I sing or what I do, it's what I build with my life. Because we're all created to worship, did you know that? Humanity and creation was created to worship God. We choose to worship him. Abraham chose to build an altar and Satan has a strategy for your life and my life. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to steal your worship to God by diverting it to lesser gods. 
He can't stop humans worshipping because we were created to worship something. See, all across our region, the city of Birmingham and out here in the black country, there are lots of worship venues. There are football stadiums and shopping malls. There are gyms and there are all kinds of places people express their worship because the innate sense in a human being is we need to reach for value in something that we don't find in ourselves. We have to feed that in us that our broken humanity can't grasp and we reach for something only to find that the more we reach, the more out of reach it becomes until we realise we were created to worship Him. That's what the psalmist tells us, that we were created to bring in praise. That's why Jesus says that these stones of the temple, if you don't praise me, they're going to sing to me. Because we were all created with the need to worship. And that's why in those moments, in these moments we share together, in those moments we connect with God, we feel more alive than anything we could ever experience. And we choose who or what we worship. I think God's calling us afresh as we maybe, hopefully, come out of this season to choose afresh to put Jesus at the centre of it all. I've come through a season, I'm still in a season which has caused me a lot of difficulty, a, a, a health issue that has caused me all kinds of stress and anxiety. But I found even just this last week, I've chosen in it all that whatever happens, I'm going to worship him. Whatever goes on in the world around me, I was created to find everything I truly needed in him. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that everything else will be added to us. And so altars are built by those who choose to be near to God. But here's another thing that deeply impacted me as I saw it. The altars are built from the broken pieces of life. He built an altar there to the Lord, it tells us. During Exodus 20, God instructs Moses to build an altar, but he gives him a very specific instruction. He says, I want you to use unhewn stones. Now that's a bit of an old fashioned phrase. Undressed stones. In other words, not something that a stone smith or, you know, has, has been able to chisel. And put. I want you to take the rubble and build an altar. I want it deliberately to be those ragged rocks, those unshaped, ordinary stones around you to build an altar to me. The materials that God asks Moses to use were basic materials, not ornate stones covered in gold that would come later in the temple, but they were the ordinary things that lay around him. And God is not really impressed or dazzled by much of what exists in our world, you know. It doesn't really impress him too much. You know what touches his heart? And that's the honesty and humility of men and women who come as they are before him. What does the Lord require of you, Micah, is asked by God? To love mercy, act justly, walk humbly before your God. And I think God is wanting you to know today that the broken things of your life are not to be rejected as if he's not interested, but they're the very things to build that altar from. Jacob, who was a supplanter, the good old-fashioned King James tells, a schemer, a deceiver, and his story tells, and you can read that in the book of Genesis. But we find in Genesis 28 that he's run away from deceiving his father-in-law. 
And he falls asleep one night and as he wakes, as he's sleeping, he has this dream of a stairway that's going to heaven and angels are walking up and down and he wakes up and he says this, that I hope we will never say of this place, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. I've, I've walked with the Lord for many years, I've been in church leadership for many years and I know that we Pentecostals know how to make it look as though we really are in the presence of God. We, we know the move. I can do the moves. There's not many moves I can do, but I can do those moves, I can tell you. I never... Uh, the moves. But the most concerning thing about what Jacob says is that God was here and I wasn't aware of it. How tragic. How tragic that we would be aware that God is here, but I didn't know. And that's the most important thing I want to say to you today and those of you watching online, he is here. He's with us. It's his promise. And he never fails to keep his promises. And it tells us that Jacob was afraid and said, what an awesome place it is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he'd rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it and he named that place Bethel, which means the house of God. These altars that men and women of old built were built from the rubble around them. I can almost imagine them in their brokenness and in their concern and their anxiety. They, they want to somehow meet with God and there's nothing much lying around. There's a, a few rocks here and some broken wood there and we're just going to pile it up. And just a little pile there, it doesn't look anything special. But somehow in that moment, I invite God into the rubble of my life. He meets me there. And that's been my story. Some of the deepest encounters I've had with God have been when I've been totally lost as to what to do, when I've been hurting and tears coming down my face and I feel I've failed him or I don't understand what's going on. And those powerful moments of worship, we're not saying shabadoo and singing shout to the Lord. I just can't say a thing. I'm just aware I need God in that moment. And I'm worshipping not necessarily in, in articulate song, but in the cry of my heart, they're saying, God, I need you and I look to you and I reach for you in this place. And as they gathered earth and stones and, and wood, they may well have been, have been using the broken pieces of their lives. God doesn't ask us to ignore our grief and our disappointment and our rejection and our sickness and our debt and our fear and our anxiety or our depression. He says, gather them together and let's meet together with them. I don't want you to push them away as if they're not righteous enough and they're not religious enough. But those are the things of our life. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. One of the most powerful worship moments in David's life is not when he writes Psalm 23. It's when he writes Psalm 51. When Nathan has confronted him over his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And Nathan says, you're the guy who's stolen somebody else's sheep in the parable, he tells him. And David says this, creating me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but renew, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And in his brokenness, he meets God afresh. 
And you may feel tonight that you're not able to connect. You may be watching online and feel so distant from what's here or what's going on. In this season, people have distanced themselves from God. Churches all across our nation are not seeing people attending in the numbers that they did before the pandemic for all kinds of reasons. Some are shielding still, some are sick, but some people have wandered. They become disappointed. You know that the, the thing that follows disappointment so often is cynicism. And we become cynical about spiritual things. God deliver us from cynicism. Do we ever seem to think that criticism and cynicism is the way through, the way to excuse the fact that I need to get before God again on my own? Not necessarily with abandon or can't take Dan home with us. <laughs> but all of heaven comes to our assistance when we open our hearts to his presence. I think of the woman who got an invitation to a meal that she couldn't share in. Simon the Pharisee was a rich man in his village. He wanted to impress everybody with the wealthy and popular friends that he had. So he holds a feast outside in the garden of his property. And Jesus is invited to that feast and he allows the people from the village to come in and stand around the perimeter so they could just observe how important he is that, they, that he could sit at the table with Jesus. But there's this woman you see in the crowd and she's totally unconcerned about Simon. She needs to meet Jesus. And she breaks from the crowd and she finds herself kneeling at his feet and the grief and the pain of her rejection and the treatment by her community, suddenly before you know it, she's weeping buckets and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus and they're not coming with musical tones. And I love all of that. We're going to do that again in a little while. We're going to use that to worship. But she's just weeping at his feet. And Simon thinks in his head, if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't let her do that. You don't do that to Jesus and get away with it. He read Simon's thoughts. And I'm praying at the moment that I can get back up from my current position. <laughs> I realised it was easier to get here than to get up again. Thank you. <laughs> Impromptu moments of the preacher. Never worked, do they? And Jesus says, you know what, Simon? She did for me what you didn't do. Because she was kissing the feet of Jesus and anointing them. When a guest arrived in the house, when a rabbi arrived in the house, there were three ways to welcome the rabbi. You would give them a kiss of peace on the cheek. You would wash their feet and you anoint them with a fragrance made by an attar of roses or something like that. And Jesus said, she's worshipping me because she knows she's been forgiven of so much. And some of us just need to be reminded in our brokenness that our brokenness never hinders the promise of God in our lives. And what he's done for us and what he's promised to us and that in itself becomes an inspiration. She fell at his feet and worshipped him with her tears. I remember Reinhard Bonnke saying a number of years ago, obviously he's with the Lord now, that the Holy Spirit, I was going to do it in a German accent, but 
He'd sound French, but the Holy Spirit is not repelled by your weakness. He is attracted to them. The Holy Spirit, hear this folks, he is not repelled by your weaknesses. He's attracted to them. It is a lie from hell that God is disappointed with you. He is not disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions in the first place. He knows that we are but dust. He knows what we're like, yet he still loves us and still says, come follow me. And sometimes real worship is painful. For some of our family here, for some of our family watching in online, I mean church family, online and here, it's been painful tonight. And it's an altar that's built out of hurt and disappointment and all kinds of things, but it is still real. And I think sometimes the real worship that's amidst our pain holds something deep that we can't find anywhere else. Just one more thought. And that is the altars are temporary and they need to be built somewhere else. Wherever Abraham stopped and set up his family and the tents he went and built an altar. I get this impression, it's just preacher's license, so go with me on this. I get the impression that when on this nomadic life they arrived at another place and they decided this was the place they were going to camp, he would instruct others to begin to set up home, but he'd just go and find somewhere where he could build an altar. That the primary thing he did was to say, before anything else, Father... I'm giving myself to you. It tells us in, in verse 8 of that passage, he went on from there to the east of hills of Bethel and then he went west to Ai and there he built an altar, there and there and there. And you know, on every stage of his journey, Abraham built an altar. He never got beyond building altars. And in, in my walk with God, there have been some moments where in Gatherings like this, I've just experienced something so powerful of his presence. But it's just a moment. It won't last me forever because I'm called to walk with him, to follow him every day. And he never got beyond building altars. He established an altar. And folks, our worship is not just for one moment or setting. This is the easiest place to worship. Honestly, with these guys, I don't find it difficult to worship tonight. This is the easiest place. And boy, we're blessed. Let's not take this for granted. We're blessed. But tomorrow morning, and Thursday, and when bad news arrives on Friday, when something happens, those are the places we have to decide, I'm going to build an altar here. Many years ago, my, our middle child, Gareth, he's, he's 27, and um, when he was about uh, five years old, he went off to a birthday party just up the road. Amanda went with him and our eldest lad, Matthew, and I stayed at home to listen to the football on the radio, as you do. And um, not long after they'd gone, there was a bang on the door, and it was Matthew saying, Dad, Dad, you've got to come. Gareth's hurt himself. He's screaming. He won't let anybody touch him. He wants you. So I run up to the house and um, there'd been a, a bouncy castle and our Gareth's the one that would love to fire water guns at you, but don't ever fire at him, you know. And he jumped out the way and he, he said, my leg's hurting, my leg's hurting, Dad, I can fit. And he was screaming. I thought, we've got to get him 
to the hospital. Long story short, he he'd experienced a spiral fracture of the lower part of his left leg. And uh, he was at the children's hospital. And, and you guys who are parents and grandparents, you know there's nothing you wouldn't do to be the person in the bed when your kid's screaming. And Amanda was pregnant, three months pregnant, and I couldn't stay the night. I knew I had to go home. And the irony was, on the Friday, I prepared a message from Acts 16, you know, Paul and Silas in the, in the dark prison. And my message was praising God in the dark. It's really interesting when you're a preacher how sometimes a day after writing your message and the day before preaching it, you have to live it. We hear those stories sometimes from the cinema, don't we, Leon? <laughs> and I remember from going from the children's hospital, I had to drive home and uh, I was just so upset by this. And I started to come into the, the famous tunnels through Birmingham, you know, the first one, then onto Queensway. And something clicked in my spirit. And I realised that even in that moment, I had to worship. And I was screaming at the top of my voice. I had the music turned up. I was screaming. And I was saying, Satan, you touch my kids. And I'm going to sing louder and louder. I'm going to worship deeper and harder and stronger. You and there are many times I've said, you touch my family. You do that and you just see how I will lift my voice. And I have some of my most powerful times with God in the car with my eyes open. <laughs> Just last week, I was going to an important meeting on Tuesday, not knowing that I would take ill on the Wednesday. I was deeply anxious because what I've been struggling with can strike me at any time. And I was driving along, I was listening to just a, a track from the Maverick City Christmas album, Gratitude, and I just found myself, I was hoarse by the time I got to this meeting. There are just some moments, folks, we have to build an altar to say, whatever is happening, I'm building an altar here and I'm doing it now. Because I'm called to experience and meet his presence. And the songs we sing are a vehicle for our worship. An opportunity to take some words that somebody else has been inspired to express, but to attach to it my love and my devotion and my commitment to follow after him, whatever, wherever I was listening. My commitment to say, I'm going to worship you. And I tell you this, I'm going to be tested on this. Serious, I'm going to be tested on this in the next 72 hours. I've lived long enough and preached long enough to know that. But I'm up for that because I've proved it in the last week. Whatever happens, I'm building an altar of worship. And even though in my own sense of failure and sin, Dan, do we want to come back, guys? Even in the sense of my own failure and sin, folks, you will not know the times I've just laid there and said, God, I can only come as I am. With everything that I'm struggling with and say, I love you. I don't get this. I don't understand it, but I love you. And you've never failed me. And I believe God's calling us to, to connect with him afresh this evening. And I think it's time for me to shut up and let him speak. I want you, wherever you are, just to be, close your eyes now. And if it's at all possible, in a crowd of hundreds this evening... Just open your heart to him. And we've got a song that will help us when we say, you know, 
Jesus is saying, come to the altar and starts by saying, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? But do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. We have an opportunity while we're together now. For however long it is, another half an hour or so. Folks, we have an opportunity. I want to invite you all across this room. If you sense God is stirring your heart to build an altar of worship to Him, if you're able, and only if you want to do this, just to stand before His presence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come right across this room. I'm standing, Lord, saying, I want to build an altar this evening of worship to you. I want to open my heart afresh to your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, in this place. Sweep across our hearts and lives. As from our will, we reach for you tonight. I'm going to ask you just to begin to worship him. Not sing the song. I want you to begin to worship him all across this room. I want you to offer him some worship, some thanksgiving. Don't be shy of the sound of your own voice. Nobody's listening to you with all due respect. Father, I love you and I worship you. by Roman soldiers they took two pieces of wood and they fixed them together and they thought they were hanging a common criminal but they nailed the eternal son of God Emmanuel to a cross and there on that altar he sacrificed himself willingly he wasn't murdered he gave up his life for you and for me. And at that altar, as heaven watched on and hell watched on, he declared this over your life and my life. It is finished. The debt is fully paid. Our worship is never about us. It's always about him, that he's the savior. He's the one we reach towards. He's the one that's got it all that we need. And as we declare again, oh, what a saviour. Why don't you look to him today? Take your eyes off what you're struggling with. Look to him today. The one that hung there, that was resurrected from the grave, who conquered the power of death and hell and the grave and rose victorious so we could sing this tonight.